Welcome to episode 148 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week we play Near Automata. Glory to mankind. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I am your host, Mr. Michael Ruffalo, and I have three friends with me on today's episode. The first, the man, the myth, the Bob Barker impersonator you know and love, Mr. Jacob McCourt. Pew, pew, pew! Let's talk about robots. Perfect. And then, following that up, the the woman you, you, you love, you know, glitzy chica herself, Mrs. Katie Lesperance. It'll never leave. Yeah, I'm ready to talk about a game that divides everyone and uh, uh, divides me. I don't. I I don't know what to feel. Gonna figure it out. Sweet. And to cap us off, a new guest, someone you've definitely never heard before. Not Flora. Glory <laughs> to mankind. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So on today's episode, we are covering Near Automata from Platinum Games, published by Square Enix, released on the PlayStation 4, PC, Xbox One, and I think it's coming out on the Switch. And originally, it was released March 7th, 2017. This was a very popular, very groundbreaking game when it came out. I honestly can't wait to hear what you all think of it. But before we get into that, let's start with a fast pitch. Uh, That is our segment where we describe... This game in, what, one or two sentences? Yeah. Let's keep it pretty short, pretty tight. Uh, Jacob, I will throw it over to you first. What is your fast pitch for Near Automata? Robots, philosophy, and one of the best endings in video games, Near Automata. Wow. Wow. High praise. High praise. Uh, glitzy Chica, <laughs> what is your fast pitch? I will kindly ignore that. My fast pitch is... Uh, crazy hot androids figuring out existence. Interesting, interesting, and not Flora. Um, I, I think I have to say sexy existentialism. I, I that's not a complete grammatical sentence, but I think that encapsulates the bulk of what Nier Automata is about. But those are synonyms. I mean, hey, In this game, all yes. ex- yeah, right, right, right. Uh. So just I will I will level set here for the listener. I have not completed Nira Automata. Um, I've played a, a chunk of the beginning of it and got stuck and got frustrated, and so I put it down and did not want to come back to it. But I've heard so much about it from so many people that I am just here to soak in the experiences of our of our hosts. So uh, where should we start? I think we should probably start with the time capsule. Uh, a little bit about when this game came out. Um, it came out the same day that Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Wildlands, Lego Worlds, and Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 came out. So just putting you a little bit of time and place. This is when fighting games were still a thing. The revival <laughs> was happening, you know, uh, where people were playing it. Within that same month, we had a real banger, Hollow Knight. Mass Effect Andromeda, a real stinker. Uh, <laughs> the Switch and Breath of the Wild, one of the greatest combos ever. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn and Night in the Woods. So 
I think everyone is forgiven if they did not play this when it came out because there were so many other good games. Um, what I would say is my memory of the time, despite all of these games coming out during this period, I remember Nier Automata getting a ton of discussion and praise. And I remember it sounding very out of left field because it was not the type of game, you know, to take more oxygen than uh, Breath of the Wild, for example. So I, I'd love to know a little bit about what your memory is of when this game came out. Do you remember when it came out? Any memorable marketing? Any memorable trailers? Did you play it on release? Hit me with it. So I did not play Near Automata when it came out. Um, I was too busy uh, playing Horizon Zero Dawn. Because uh, that is a game I played upon uh, release of the game. I uh, did not get a Switch right away. Um, but like you said, it was 2017 where like I felt like a lot of publications were just like really uh, cheering on Nier Automata. Because dis- despite being a from a series of games that has been around like for a while, being the Dragon Guard series, like I feel this is like the first game in that series that really hit critical mass. So j- before we dive deeper, Drake, Jacob, could you explain a bit about the Drakengard series? I can try. Um, so <laughs> Drakengard and Nier, uh, and I think Flora maybe can help me fill in the picture here, but Drakengard, three games, uh, are based in more of like a medieval uh, timeline, and then Nier and uh, Nier Replicant, the remake, and uh, Nier Automata are like a, a far-flung future version of the, the same world. Uh, Flora, is that a okay. fair assessment? Yeah, that's about right. Um, the only thing I would maybe add is that um, the games are connected in-universe to each other through just a, a massive time jump, and a lot of the themes of the stories are the same, a lot of the aesthetics of the stories are the same. Um, and Drakengard 3 specifically, um, it has the five-ending structure that the both near games would later follow. So it's almost um, sort of an experiment in the lab of Yoko Taro that then kind of becomes what Nier takes over to be. So, okay, that helps tremendously because my recollection of the Drakengard games or Drakengard or however it's pronounced, you'll I'll, I'll mess up a lot of pronunciations during this episode, uh, was that it was a middle, like medieval, uh, you know, place game. And I remember the first near having something to do with, there was like a fishing mini game or something <laughs> in it. Like that's the thing that stands out to me in it. Uh, but again, another game that got like some weird hype and weird praise that I was not expecting. So, um, yeah, hearing that this was part of a series really threw me for a loop because I could not place anything I had seen uh, close to this. Yeah, like um, Near Replicant and Near Gestalt, as it was also known, it came out as like two separate games in like, quote unquote, the West. Um, that game, like what Jacob was saying, it didn't really penetrate like the cultural conversation in the same way. But the fishing mini game in that, like, Near Automata has fishing, by the way, we should say. Mike, I don't know how far you got. <laughs> I, I um, got to some fishing. Yoko Taro's on record as saying that like any RPG, or maybe it's just JRPG, needs to have fishing minigames. Like, that's like a requisite. <laughs> um, but the actual like Near Replicant, which later got remastered and uh, um, re-released in 2020, um, has an extensive fishing section, if you want to go for the 100%, that takes, I, I mean, at least five hours worth of just running around with a fishing pole waiting and uh, it, it's quite ridiculous. So I'm surprised that that's what caught your eye is the fishing. It's completely optional in that game. It has nothing to do with the story, but um, you can get some uh, necessary weapon upgrades and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know why that sticks out in my memory, but <laughs> it was probably people complaining on a podcast about it. I believe um, 
Katie, do you have any experience with the series, this game? Did you play it on release? I have the the zeroist of experience with this game. I knew it existed. I saw the art, like the the game art, and I thought the game art looked really nice. But other than that, I didn't really know anything about it. And it had, it's not something that I thought to investigate. And I nobody I knew really like was like pitching this game to me as something that I need to play. So it was just kind of like tucked away in the back of my mind as a game that came out that supposedly is good. And I so <laughs> that's not a judgment. Wow. That's not okay. a statement. I just said that, you know. You've heard a lot of things. A lot of people spoke very highly of it, but I didn't really know anything about it other than like this game good. So I just That's I fair. just never dove into it. That's fair. That's fair. So I think it's fair to say we've got some people with no experience, some people with an understanding of previous games in the series, and we've got Flora who is a deep deep fan. Uh, is our shepherd. Is very familiar. Thank the yes. Lord. <laughs> Um, I know philosophy plays a really big role in, in this game, and it sounds like the series. Um, how well-versed in philosophy would you say you are? You know what? I'll uh, start. I'm not. Th- this is a whole game of I don't know what is going on. I was not a philosophy person. I took a couple psychology classes way back in the day. And like some of psychology has a, a base in philosophy theories like there's some common ground there but as far as actual philosophers and actual theories and all that I know I dove into the sciences and I have not gone back to philosophy at all so it's a big kind of blind spot let me say really quickly I'm a dum-dum no (laughs) (laughs) flora Um, Just to circle back one quick point, and then I'll talk about my background in philosophy. Um, I actually didn't play Nier Automata at release. I didn't, like, hear about it or anything, didn't touch it until 2018, a year after it had come out. And I actually, I picked it up on a whim, like, on a sale, and I played through the first route of this game, Ending A. And I was, I kind of fell into the mistake thinking that it was just a new game plus after, and that I would just be replaying the story with better weapons or something. And so I let the game sit for, like, two years before actually finishing it. Um, So that is an important caveat, I think, to note for the discussion we'll have later. But my background in philosophy, um, I would say, started in when I was getting, like, my AA degree. Like, I took a random intro to philosophy class, and it changed my life. Like, by the end of the course, the professor walked us outside and proved to me, at least, that we lived in the Matrix, and I couldn't think of a good argument out of it. And and then I went home and told my partner at the time, and I pulled out my eight pages of notes from that class and was like, we live in the Matrix, can you believe it? Oh my god! Like, But, like, I was that enthusiastic intellectually about it. I later minored and then actually majored, uh, double majored in philosophy with uh, English literature. And so um, existentialism in particular, which Nier Automata is all about, is my bread and butter. Like, I wouldn't claim to be an expert on the topic, but I've read a lot of it, um, written a lot about it, and I think it has informed a lot of a, like, post-religious worldview for myself, where in the absence of a structure of, like, a religious schema, um, existentialism kind of follows up and answers that missing space in your life or people's lives. And so um, this game could not have been more tailored to me and my interests. Perfect. So you can help us with our Kierkegaard and Camus and... Sartre and all, all the existentialist quotes we'll need Absolutely. throughout. Perfect. All right. Uh, well, before we get into a little bit about how we played, let's, let's do a little recap of what reviewers were talking about at the time when it came out on release. 
So we had US Gamer give it a five out of five. We don't get games like Nier Automata too often. And by that, I mean games that simultaneously weave a deep, harrowing, existential narrative in addition to playing with our expectations of how we play games. There's nothing else around like Nier Automata, except for maybe its predecessor. And in an industry that sometimes leans too heavily on the sameness, it's wholly refreshing. GameSpot gave it a 9.0 and said, Thanks to Platinum Games' knack for riveting and gratifying combat, Automata is Yokotaro's most exciting game to date. The combat mechanics click after hurdling a low learning curve, and the end result is skillful dance where balletic dodges complement Wushu-inspired aggression. Moreover, this multi-ending trip is generously peppered with surprises and revelations, as well as Easter eggs that call back to the first game and the Drakengard series from which Nier spun off. It's a meaty, often exhilarating track that showcases Platinum Games and Yokotaro's unique blend of genius. And then one wild card, not your typical game reviewer, uh, the Washington Post gives it an 8 out of 10, a wonderful game whose real beauty lies beyond its immediate details. In fact, the game dares to get better after you see the credits. So pretty, pretty high praise, just glowing reviews left and right. I want to bring up one thing that we hadn't talked about that was brought up by two of these reviewers, which was Platinum Games. Um, I think that they make some of the best action games out there. Uh, Bayonetta, uh, Vanquish, which is like an all-time great game to play. Um, Wonderful 101, uh, even Mad World on the Wii, where I started with Platinum Games, which was very much like a black and white, almost like Miller-inspired like gore fest. Um, all their games are great. And I think that this game plays really well, and I needed to call that out. Platinum, they're they're X Clover, right? That's I a lot of the so. origin of Platinum. Yeah, yeah. Like they all left. Beautiful Capcom. Joe, Okami, yeah. and then they went to make games at Platinum, including Metal Gear Revengeance, which is having a weird uh, like second life. People love to talk about it in 2022. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay, now let's hop into very quickly. How did you play it? Any special editions? Base game? Hit me with it. Jacob, start with you. PS4. And the base version? Base version of the game, yep. Okay. Katie? PS4, base version. All right. Flora? Uh, first playthrough is PS4 base version, and then I went back this year after a patch was released, which brought the PC version up to spec um, in response to how Game Pass's version was suddenly performing way, way better than the one people had paid for. So now that all of the bells and whistles have been added, including the DLC, I went back and did a 100% playthrough this time. Sweet. Yeah, I, I played the Become as Gods, I believe, special edition uh, that was playing nice and smooth on my PC. So without further ado, let's, uh, let's hop into the meat of the game. Uh, how does this game open and what, what do we learn about it? Who wants, to, who wants to take a crack at that? I guess I'll take the opening surfacey uh laying out of of the general state of the world and then everyone else can can correct me and enlighten me um so my understanding back in the year 5000 there was a war (laughs) down came the aliens so okay so we're in the future in a a very far off future um where basically there are do you even know that they're androids at the beginning? I don't know that you do. No. No, no, no you, you don't. don't. Uh, there, there are these kind of combatants that are defending the Earth from machines that are coming down. And then it kind of gets slowly spoon fed to you that 
thousands of years before this game is set that um, basically aliens or other beings came from outside of Earth, came down, assaulted Earth, and kind of took over. And there was a, a war between humans and aliens. The humans created these androids to fight for them. Um, it seems that they kind of lost a little bit where the humans were um, driven off of Earth and have kind of outposts elsewhere in the universe. Um, and the war is just kind of continuing on between the androids and the aliens. And the aliens have their own army of machines. So it's the machines for the aliens, the androids for the humans that are battling it out um, for their respective sides. Let me say, we are already past my understanding. <laughs> okay. Mike's my just smiling and nodding. Smile and nodding. I'm, I'm so glad that you guys are here to, to help shepherd my understanding through this game. So <clears throat> my understanding was that these, uh, these robots were self-organizing and were replicating themselves uh, in these big forges. And as a result, they were taking over the world and not allowing humanity to come back and establish a base there. But it sounds like there was an ancient alien like civilization, I guess, that was controlling them along the way. So this is wild. I'm, I'm learning new things as, as we go. Um, I think the opening sequence, the, the thing of note there, is you get a little bit of experience running around, practicing the action, uh, practicing some of the combat, and facing different enemy types. Uh, but it shows the real scale because the the very end of this opening sequence is a gigantic boss battle against what looks to be a, uh, a an Autobot, a Decepticon-style like crane monster. And uh, uh, your character, I believe, ends up dying in the process. Uh, but the memory core is saved and you are respawned in a base floating above the earth uh, where those memories are reimplanted. And this is the, this is the plot device that explains how you can die and lose in the game, but come back and continue to, to operate. Um, Flora, add, add some context here, add some flavor. I'm sure I'm missing some important bits. It's great context. I think that one of the things, just to, it, talking about how this game opens, um, this game has a notoriously frustrating introduction. Um, oh I don't God. know if the rest of you felt this way. Well, immediately the nods and the head shakes say yes. But um, the first mission of this game is unrelentingly long. And if you die, you have to start the entire thing over with zero checkpoints. And it starts off um, like we get a little bit of narration from 2B. And she basically says, I want to kill God um, for creating this like horrible world. And then All right, you, Nietzsche. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's immediately just the first line of the game goes into existentialism, and um, then you go and proceed through like these sky battles and these like mechs, and then it eventually turns you loose to what Mike was just describing about like this like kind of simulation of combat, and then you end up fighting an unnamed at the time um, buzzsaw arm that we then later learn has a name, um, which I think is relevant to this conversation of philosophy as well. But you don't learn that until the second playthrough, where you have an android who can read the names of everything. Um, Tell me but, it's not Occam's Razor. Or... Oh, that's... Can we talk about Chekhov's gun instead? Get out. Is there a Chekhov's gun in this? 
is I feel like everything. not literally named. <laughs> but wow. Okay. No. You look. You all have to explain. I did not get far in this game at all. <laughs> I got to a point where there was an android being birthed out of a bunch of robots that formed a ball, and uh, yeah, I, that's where I got. And then I got frustrated. So, um, so explain before we get too far. My frustration began much earlier than with the birthing of the robot baby. My frustration began very, very quickly in this game where um, they lay out the combat. Like you kind of take a it's like a mini tour throughout all the different versions of combat in this game because uh, it's kind of impressive. At at first, I was very impressed by the the seeming variety where you have the um, where you're in kind of a flying mech. And it's where you're at the bottom of the screen and you're shooting forward, almost like those old, like, like that Raptor game, like, uh, the, you know, those old um, games. It's like we Bullet Hell, like Galaga or something. Yeah, Galaga. Yes. Um, so there's that. Then it turns into a flying machine with a twin stick, like overhead twin stick shooter type thing. Then you're on the ground and it's almost like a like Devil May Cry combat. And then we switch to like a 2D sides two and a half D side scrolling and then we'll do a top down twin stick on the ground and there's a lot of variety um later on that didn't have enough variety for me but at the beginning I'm like oh we're doing a lot of different things which was exciting until I died Mm. and I had to go back about 40 minutes worth of progress and start over and I was like, You've, you must be joking. Like the screen came up that's like, I'm, going, I'm at the start, like the start screen loaded up again. And I thought, this, this isn't real. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fire me back into something. I'm like, nope, nope, I'm starting from the start. And we said, we're going to kill God again. And I thought, oh my God. We're going to so, do it again. Instead, so yeah, please. I was instantly infuriated. You're saying both of us got ending W, which like, I think right away, like, when you die in that first mission, you get ending W, which is literally just like you died in the first mission and you get that ending. Um, I'm not going to say more at this, at this phase. Um, Mike, go ahead. I'm, I'm confused. Can you defeat the chainsaw robot guy? You can. Or do you you yeah. can. Oh, I do thought you had to die there because I, I felt like I was doing everything. Mm. Don't worry about spoiling it. So that we fight- are, We're in spoiler zones. Regardless so, of how well you so handle... the listener knows, we're in the spoiler zone. Okay. Yeah, and of all games, I think this one does benefit by having a little spoiler version. But um, but yeah, regardless of how well you do in combat, it's worth saying that no matter what, the character in question does die in this opening sequence. That is the, like, that's locked in place. So it doesn't actually Perfect. matter how well you do. Um, but like if you're really, really good at the combat, there is a chance that you can like kind of work your way through that fight. Yes, thank you for adding that that layer. I think that uh, what I was saying is like you can constantly die and get ending W a whole bunch. There are there are twenty six endings in this game. Um, we will get into all of those, I'm sure. Sweet. So, uh, where did we leave off? We, we left, left off, off at the bunker, that space sort of like satellite where all the androids yes, are hanging Yorha. out. And is it fair to talk about the two like protagonists in this game? Because I don't think we've touched on them really intimately. Two B and Nine S. Uh, 2B is almost like a fighting class of robots that work for or androids that um, is part of the Yorha organization, Glory to Mankind, uh, that I'm sure we'll talk about in, in great detail. And then 9S is more of a like hacker, um, uh, like scout, almost like a sentry. Yeah, a a scanner is, I think. Yeah. Scanner. 
scanner. So like you know, two B, who you play in the in your first playthrough, is your fighter. Nine uh, S, more of a hacker. And there's something to note. This is already going to get into the weeds, but like this game is so on the nose with the references that it's making that you may or may not have been thinking about those names of those two androids, like Two B and Nine S. Um, I think Two B is a lot easier to figure out if you've studied Shakespeare. Yeah, it's it's literally an allusion to Hamlet's soliloquy, like this idea of contemplating whether you should take your own life or not. And so, I mean, this game gets into that very question, but 2B is a direct reference to Shakespeare. That's been confirmed in an interview. That's not just like like harebrained, like picking at the or the little like tying red string around various uh, cork boards. But then there's 9S, which um, I, I don't actually remember the lineage of how I figured this out. This is not my own discovery. I just read this somewhere. Um, but 9S um, translates in some weird way to et two. Uh, or no, sorry, that's A2. Sorry, I'll get to the 9S thing. Um, but A2, a third protagonist that we get to later in the game, is another Shakespeare reference um, from Julius Caesar, uh, where C- Caesar is stabbed and then says, you know, et tu, like um, that is legitimately A2's character. Um, 9S has a, um, a variation. It's like if you find the Latin equivalent of this character's name, um, it means something like um, not to be. So, like, it's the other half of Hamlet's line. So, anyway, all of those names are relevant. It's just a weird kind of <laughs> lost in linguistic translation thing. And is it fair to also say that their their personalities are, like, very different and also play into their names as well? I don't know about the name part, but 2B has more of the soldier mentality, kind of hardened, um, thinks emotions are kind of uh, just irrelevant things that you need to disregard and is really harsh towards 9S who's kind of been assigned to her as her scanner as her um, partner and 9S is is very sweet and really wants to be part of the team and really wants to be like accepted by 2B and you kind of get that early um, uh, like odd couple of the hardened one who's like, no, get away. We're just here for a job. And 9S who like really wants this affirmation and acceptance from 2B like right away. And it's, it's very sweet and tender with the, with the best anime boy voice you could ask for. Yes. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and it is, it's, it's weird. It was weird for me to see these androids have personality. Um, It was not something that I was expecting. And I also just the way that they're dressed. Um, they're dressed in what I would only describe as like a Victorian emo punk outfit. I don't know. Can you help? Victorian maid, maybe? Yeah, I think it's more commonly described as like French maid. But yeah, you're exactly right. But um, this is another just I've dug through a lot of conversations and interviews about this game. Uh, it's explicitly like a BDSM relationship, if I can say that. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> where it is. I like I. I I hate to linger on that on the podcast, but um, but that is exactly the it. roles that are being set up down to the outfits, like the very tight leather, like 9S is wearing a choker. Um, he's calling to be ma'am. I probably shouldn't say much more than that, but <laughs> that, that's built into their personalities as well, which they're not supposed to have, um, according to Yorha and like the dictates therein of this android organization. These androids are supposed to suppress all human-like emotion. Um, they're kind of not allowed to have it. But we see in the banter between these two characters that those emotions are, in fact, there. They are developing. And the relationship between these two characters is kind of, um, even though 2B is shutting it down and saying, no, I'm not uh, going to give in to these more human um, elements, uh, it still happens. So. Interesting. 
I was not expecting that. Although now that you explain it, it makes sense. Um, are there any other main characters that we should introduce or go over? We talked no. a little bit about A2, which I think will just come out when we start working our way towards Route C. Um, there's some other characters that become like prominent recurring characters, but none of them are routinely playable. Like There's a character that we have a lot of relationship with called Pascal, um, and there's a small sequence where you will play as that character, and there's a couple like analogs to that, but I think we've laid the stage for the major arcs of the story. I Good. just want to quickly cover that each of the 2B and 9S have pods with them, which are tactical support units um, who just help them uh, with their weapons and their ranged attacks and help them with correspondence from the command center. They shoot pellets from afar. They do the shooting shoots. They jump farther. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Right? Yep. Perfect. Okay. Um, any specific gameplay mechanics that we want to talk through? I think it's worthwhile to mention there's the very typical Platinum Games action platformer uh, elements where you're fighting with swords and guns. Um, I think it's also worthwhile to mention there's a bit of an Ikaruga um, flight shooter nice. uh, element there as well. Uh, were there were there gameplay bits that I missed not having gotten that far? Are we going to talk about Route B and the main mechanic there? Yeah, it, it's hard to, like, if you're opening up the mechanics of, like, everything that goes on in the rest of the game, uh, at the very least, it's worth saying that there's, like, a hacking-style minigame that is played from the perspective of 9S, and you're just a little, like, triangle who's shooting pellets out and breaking these little spheres that then allows you to find the vulnerable center of something and quote-unquote hack it, and when you clear that field, um, you then have damaged or killed the enemy, so. Sweet. So, All right. that was... so. The gameplay is I have a love-hate relationship. So the action of the game, um, and like I said earlier, initially I enjoyed it. And then I realized that there isn't that much depth to it. To me, the combat became like, once I got used to the combat, I attack, I dodge, I shoot my shooting make a shoot from the pod when he is ready to do so. I kind of just got into this rhythm of attack, attack, dodge, attack, attack, dodge. And I realized I'm doing the same thing over and over again. And I didn't feel like there was that much strategy to the action. Um, And then it kind of became the same thing with the hacking. They introduced the hacking and I was like, oh, this is really cool. It's a new element. And then it didn't really develop a whole lot further than that. Whereas I thought we were going to become, it was going to iterate on itself a bit more than it did. Um... It has a mechanic where it's interesting with the hacking where you are affecting an Android or you're being affected in a technological way where it will affect your vision or it will affect your audio or like it will change your screen as if you are like the Android and it's affecting what you see, which I thought was really cool. Um, But the actual like actions that I'm doing, I was a little surfacey for me and I just I wish there was more to it. I kind I of agree with you in that, like, I feel like you don't come to Nier Automata to play, like, no. a an incredibly mechanically interesting video game. Absolutely. You come to it because of the... I think it's a good game. Uh, I think that maybe some of the mechanics over time will start to grind... Not grind on you, but, like, 
you you won't be getting anything else out of it marginally. It's just like, oh, I'm doing the same thing over and over again. Cool. The mechanics, the, the combat, like, is great, but kind of wears on you. Um, you come to the game for the world and the story that's being told. Uh, the gameplay is the vehicle for that. And I think it's 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 fine. It's good. Which I think the is one- the thing, is that it's it's I'm, the story is unraveling, but there's so much combat. It's like, if the combat's not that interesting, maybe pair back on the combat a little bit and spend a little less time. Like, I just played the game on easy, because I was like, I don't really even want to deal with going through this. Like, I just want the story. So if it's not, if it's surfacey, then just pair back on it a little bit. Give us a little less time spent on it, I think, would be a good, you know, a better avenue for this game. But go ahead, Flora. Um, I, I definitely agree. There's probably a little more combat that needs to be, or than needs to be here in this game. Um, the one saving grace, because I think the second playthrough, I also felt that fatigue of combat and was playing on easy just to kind of like zip through it to get to the next story beat, which I ultimately was a lot more interested in. The silver lining for me was, um, the pod chip plugins where you get to adjust a lot of how combat works. And some of the highlights for me, um, involve ironically stripping some of those combat elements away like there's some of the um, chips allow you to auto dodge or auto heal where you don't have to go into your menu to find the recovery items or even something like deadly heal which I really enjoyed on this playthrough where you are rewarded for not only avoiding damage but every time you land an attack it heals you back and so those sorts of things I think add some depth and variety to the combat albeit it doesn't I don't think uh, sustain the rest of the action like there's a solid 15 hours of action I would say um, of just like 3D combat like if you just really kind of rush through it all and don't do the side stuff um, that's excluding the 9S bits and stuff like that as well but there's quite a chunk here and if at a point you feel like you're button mashing or just kind of looping through the light attack heavy attack combo um, I I think that that can get stale unfortunately so I did not obviously get far in this game but uh, when I saw all of those different plugins and chips that you could do and playing around with different weapons, it made it feel like there was going to be all kinds of different ways to play this game and all kinds of different combinations that you could use and uh, that there was going to be a lot of variety. So I find it really interesting to hear that, you know, your experiences weren't that varied and that it was pretty uh, routine, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of weapons and I didn't really feel any difference in swapping between weapons at all, aside from cosmetically. Like, I was like, oh, that sword looks cool, so I'm going to roll with that sword. But it didn't really offer me anything different from the next sword. Um, I do agree, as far as the playing the game and the mechanics of the game, the most interesting stuff to me was the stuff that uh, really played into the fact that you're playing an Android, where it, stuff in the UI, and the, the fact that some of your plugins are your HUD, so you can uninstall parts of your HUD and it's like that was taking up part of your like operating system of your Android. That was really cool. Like that is such a unique idea. And so that really got me interested. And then playing with all that stuff and then settings. They talked about your settings, like your game settings, as if it is your Android settings. Um, like one of the characters is like, oh, you can adjust your, 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 basically your, your body settings, like the settings of your Android. If you're feeling motion sickness, there is an Android setting for that as if you're, um, adjusting your own body as opposed to actually adjusting game settings is, is a really cool way to, to deal with that. Speaking of the, um, plugin chips and like the Android layer to it all, um, did anyone here pull out their OS chip? 
No, no, I did not. But I know there's an <laughs> ending associated with that. Yeah, it's required for the platinum. But um, it's it's a small like all the little side endings of this game are little gags, jokes, japes. They're not serious like substantial endings. But pulling out your operating system chip and then dying and seeing the credits rewind like really quickly in front of you, uh, I, I think is a nice little uh, fun quirk that any player should probably experience. It takes two seconds. Well, I mean, and and someone helped me fill this detail in, but there's also like a in the settings there's like a self destruct chip that there there's an option to either like keep it on or off but you actually are required it it almost looks like you have agency but you don't have the full level of agency to remove your self destruct chip you don't have access yeah exactly you you on the surface you do but don't play with it do you have you're full agency authorized. we'll see you're not authorized who knows we'll see glory to mankind <laughs> praise um, be to yorha <laughs> please praise be to yorha my last thing myself about the mechanics of the game is the map <coughs> is one of my most hated maps I've yes. ever encountered in my life Agreed. to the point where I wanted to do side quests and I did not under know how to get where I needed to go to accomplish said side quest to the point where I got so mad that I just I abandoned it. And I, I believe I, I messaged you, Florin, was like, does these side quests matter? Because I don't want to do them anymore. And you're like, ah, not, I mean, not, they're not crucial. No, not really. I'm like, okay, great. Cause I'm just going to mainline this. Cause I can't <laughs> deal with having to try and navigate my way to the point where they even say it in the game. The one character says to you, oh, your navigation, like your map. Yeah, it's a little frustrating, isn't it? I know a lot of the androids, other androids have been complaining about it. I'm like, so. So you're telling me that the developers knew that they have a terrible map and either they can't, they couldn't make it better and they didn't know how to make it better or they just didn't care enough and they just didn't think it was that important to make it better. And they were just like, well, just say it's frustrating. It's a frustrating map. And that was like, oh, you just stabbed me in the side right there. You were like, aha, you don't like this map. Just a little shiv in the side. Like, well, we're just going to tease you about it, basically. So that, yeah, that. That was that was that was a little frustrating for me. I couldn't agree more. I share that frustration. I think that's probably my least favorite part of Nier Automata is the map. Um, first playthrough, I got stuck on a main quest, and the marker for the quest, like there's this big pit, like this field in the center of the map, where um, on the edge of this pit, there's like an additional pit that goes much lower. And then you run through these little tunnels, and you you might know what I'm talking about. There's a big ladder leading to it. Um, for some reason, because there's no depth to this map whatsoever, I ran around for like three or four hours and just like started doing side quests because I didn't know where to Same. go and couldn't figure out how to progress because of where the indicator on the map was pointing me and I mm -hmm. could not locate where to progress with. So um, the fact that that hindered progression like on the main route was incredibly frustrating. But additionally, if you're looking for those side quest opportunities, if you were having a charitable opinion to this game, I think like it doesn't matter how good the mechanics feel. It doesn't matter... Like, you can put in a bunch of chips to make traversal feel excellent, like running around really quickly and flawlessly around this environment. Even that gets dulled when you don't know where you're going. So mm -hmm. um, very much share that opinion. Related to the map is one more mechanic that I, I, I want you guys to gut check me on. But it seemed like there was a, a, a souls uh, component here that if your character dies, you would have to go back to your body before too long has passed to recover whatever items and experience that that body had. Is that correct? Yes. 
Okay. Because that's where I bounced off of it. Because uh, I uh, I died, uh, or I got stuck um, after I defeated Adam. Because I found a, a little side place I could go to instead of climbing the, the effective, like, sand waterfall or whatever it is. And snuck out back into the starting area of that and had to go through it again and died. And then was so dead set on getting my body back that I just kept hitting that wall uh, against Adam V2, which was much stronger. And uh, that's, yeah, the the map made it really hard for me to figure out how to get back or how to get out. And if there was a way to get out without having to fight him again. Um, and so, yeah, that, that experience with the map is really where I had the toughest, mm. the toughest time, like pushing myself to get to move through this game. Well, here, here's our goal. I think our goal, the three of us, is to convince you that stopping to play the game, you probably stopped, what, six to ten hours in? It feels like even less than that. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to convince you today that Nier Automata is a game that you need to finish. I can't wait. Please do. It's, okay. You know what? I think we will, because I think we're done with the gameplay issues, which is unfortunately a big obstacle to getting to a actually really interesting and detailed story that goes to a lot of places that I didn't expect um, it's, which is the most enjoyable part of this game so it's 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 unfortunate that there's these barricades that you have to kind of hurdle over in order to enjoy the game um, but there is stuff there to enjoy for sure. Sweet so let's talk about how this game's structured and how this game is played. Who wants to take a swipe at it? I feel like Flora is is our is our shaman through this. I'm happy to be the shaman, although I think I'd be more interested in hearing like a first impression take and filling in those little gaps. Um, Jacob or Katie, any interest in taking that lead? Yeah, I, I will take a stab. Um, and so uh, the game... How can I not spoil this in a way? I'm going to take uh, a We're in here. spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So in order to experience the full uh, near Automata experience, there are five endings that are, I would call, core to this to this game. The first playthrough, mm-hmm. ending A, is probably the longest if I'm, if I'm yep. taking a stab. And that is really like your first playthrough of the game, which is uh, your tale of uh, your... your um, uh, your trials and tribulations against Adam and Eve and all of the adventures and places that you go along that adventure, uh, which include uh, a carnival and a, a forest temple and an underground where there's maybe a, an alien spacecraft. Um, but that's the first playthrough of the game. And Floor, is it fair, is it fair to say that like the Adam and Eve storyline in that one is, is kind of the core of ending A? Yeah, I would even say it's probably the core of ending B as well. Um, although route B, you see it from 9S's perspective as opposed to 2B's perspective. So like the delivery of the story, even though the plot beats are the exact same, the perspective from which those plot beats are delivered, I think is um, informant, like it gives a greater sense of, of what the story is trying to do. Um, but the ultimate struggle against Adam and Eve is the heart of the story for A and B. Um, and maybe just one point of clarity there, Adam and Eve are like, sort of like proto humans that are birthed of these robots that have like melded themselves together in like a collective consciousness womb thing and then um all of a sudden these like they look human but they're sort of not sort of characters become your antagonist that then 
grapple with questions of what it means to be human in the first place and um they fail to like have that emotional depth of like what it is to fear one's own impending death which is like a core of existentialist philosophy and that becomes a driving animator for their more like nefarious actions amor fati let's get into it get into what <laughs> well, get into what i mean what okay so what does the first ending mean like where do we go what is the what is the takeaway that we should we should have at the end of that first ending? Oh, so the, the eye roll from Jacob makes it seem like this is a this is the wrong question to ask. We don't know it. how to answer. That's the problem. I feel like it, it is. This is a game that you really have to like deep dive into afterwards and dissect and read the stuff and like really um, just immerse yourself in it in order to fully get it. Because it took me a while to understand what Adam and Eve were. I was like, oh, they're just they're leading the machines like they're trying to take over. But it wasn't it was it felt like the game thought it made it very clear what they are. And I didn't find it very clear. Um but yes, Say it was lost in translation. A little bit. Um, so yeah, you're, you're battling against them, and then you also kind of see this evolution of this relationship between two B and nine S, which is also kind of a big theme in the first uh, two playthroughs. So I think one thing to just kind of answer the question and maybe set up a, a further discussion is that the perspective you're given through two B in the first route of this game, the first ending of this game, is that. Robots bad. Machines bad. We must kill all of them. There's no redeeming quality to them. They're not even people. They don't have depth to them. Um, There's no moral quandary about wiping every single one off the face of the planet. That is what androids have been put there to do in order to like protect or restore humanity. And so um, you're going through this game in the first route, just slaughtering things and kind of not knowing why. And um, I, I think for many players, or at least myself, um, you might not think too much about why at the beginning. You're just playing a video game and you're doing what you know you need to do, which is combat. Um, but as you work into the point where um, Adam is born, then you see that these robots, um, through like little anecdotes and little cutscenes, they, in the absence of like a higher purpose, are like simulating what it's like to be humans in culture. And one of the kind of pillars of human culture is like a religious belief in some higher power or deity, which the robots have seemed to kind of recreate. And they're also trying to uh, reproduce. Like we see them having like comical sex with each other. Um, there's, you know, like it's just a bunch of like tin cans being hit against each other. It's It's like an absurd scene. But we see that in the absence of something purposeful they have like again they have searched for meaning in the same domains that humans have been so it points i think to like the arbitrariness of human endeavors like cultural projects and the sort of meaningless like death defying projects that many of us have like we think that in creating something we're going to extend our own lifespans and so i think that's largely what the first route is about and so when adam and eve are dropped into this game we finally have an antagonist who are also like anthropomorphically like with language communicating that urge um to these characters to be in and to 9s and we see that um i think it's adam who dies first in the game like they are killed in isolation from each other which sparks the sort of twin eve um to go on this like incredibly violent rampage where um eve is just consuming all of these other robots and unleashing havoc upon like existence itself and so the end of the first route is not only defeating those sort of like 
rage-induced aims at, at suffering and at existence and being, which, again, is the core of existentialism, I think. Um, but also, at the end of the game, 9S dies, and I think that's worth talking about. Do either of you have a thought about that death? Um, I thought that... Um, I was surprised at how quickly, because the time spent didn't feel that long, but how quickly 2B... Um, gained feelings for 9S and really started to care. Whereas at the beginning, her, you know, emotion was very much that, no, we are soldiers and we might die and that's what it is. And then faced with death and faced with someone that um, she's grown this uh, camaraderie with, um, she's heartbroken. And yeah, it does kind of push them forwards. And then you're right, as you're playing through, also as you're encountering these machines, um, 9s i I think mostly 2b but also 9s they'll say like oh disregard what they're saying because they'll say things like don't kill us like ah like we're afraid or like that's you know or caring for each other caring for other machines and then they say like why would they say that they're just machines and then they're just kind of pushing that aside and saying no 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 it's it's a it's a lie they're trying to trick you it's all part of their programming it's nothing um and then I, my thought was more towards um, whenever any group of people um, discriminate towards another group of people, they tend to dehumanize them, um, you know, in history with um, any, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Strife? Um, no, when... Any oppressed minority? Like... Whenever one group, like, eradicates the other group. Genocide? Genocide? <laughs> Um, in history, like any time, like any genocide that happens, um, typically the leaders will say like, oh, no, they're not people like they're not like us. They're rats. They're this. They don't think like you do. They don't have the same feeling. Yeah, they don't have the same feelings that you do. Therefore, they don't mean what you mean. Therefore, it's OK that we kill them. And that's you can tell that the androids have that kind of had that teaching in them to disregard the machines and like, don't worry about it. They're nothing just kill them so that's uh, I thought a lot about that and how that was kind of representative of of what happens on earth and the thing that I I really appreciated like playing through the game and then I think the thing I appreciated most like having some space from it and like doing the reading watching the YouTube videos whatever is that as you go through the game and I don't think we're going to spend the time going through beat by beat of like going to the desert going to the carnival going to the forest kingdom like we don't have time for that but what mm-hmm. I appreciated about the robots is increasingly as you went um, they moved up Maslow's hierarchy of needs right mm-hmm. like the junk bots were there just for their own like physiology uh, the desert bots like were there for safety and as you keep going like the religious rebels at the end like they had reached some level of self-actualization and like you could then consider Adam and Eve had like transcended that whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs so that to me having space like not only seeing them like have their humanity challenged at every turn it was also fun to see how their humanity was almost increasing as you went through the game and there's so- one instance of there is this robot, this large robot, who is um, their primary concern was basically being loved. And it, it, there's this whole thing wow. of like this unrequited love of, of, of what do I do so that this other being will love me. And that was devastating. I was like, oh, that was the first like really emotional part where I was like, oh, that's like 
that's a real thing that almost everyone experiences. And it was like, what do I have to do if I walk this way or if I look this way or if I do this? I think it says maybe he'll notice me or maybe he'll see me or something like that. And it's repeated yeah. over and over again to the point where they're going to their ex- to these extremes. They're like, oh, I've heard that if I eat androids, that'll make me beautiful. And therefore, wow. um, then I'll get that love. And he's like, and I keep doing it and I don't like it and I want to puke and it's, and I, they taste like oil, but I'll keep doing yep. it because maybe that will make them love me. And I was like, oh, that's, that is real. And that was a, a need above, like you said, a, above the basic level of needs. That was a thing that is after that, after you have sustenance and shelter, like, no, you want someone to care about you. I loved seeing the go from like a simple simple non-consciousness to like an emergent consciousness and how you could see Adam like develop and grasp with language and get there. It is so cool to hear that it takes all of these other like leaps and steps through like a development of consciousness. And it sounds like a a society in some capacity. The thing that I am most, uh, most like in love with hearing about this is the way in which it just holds up like a black mirror to to humanity as a whole um just yeah incredible not where i was expecting this game to go and i just to clarify about this character in particular this character we learn in route b is called simone which back to the ties into philosophy like if you've studied french existentialism uh, yeah simone de beauvoir and um jean-paul sartre like they they are kind of arguably the end of the initial um, existentialist movement and like De Beauvoir's work is very uh, foundational for like feminist philosophy and theory and this idea that like womanhood is something to be constructed potentially and so we see that echoed in this character where um, the performance of femininity is literally embodied in all of those like harrowing things that Katie was describing like this this robot goes from a simple robot like you've seen to this massive robot with this kind of billowing dress and all of these like you fight this robot in a theater like an opera house mm-hmm. and, like it's actually like a performance venue like for this femininity in order to catch the eye of this unrequited love which if you know anything about the biography of um, Jean-Paul Sartre and Simone de Beaufort there's a lot of like potential tension there on again off again kind of weird relationship um, I, I think that those things like if you have that background I think it this game is trying to say so much but like even if you don't like i think you can still appreciate um like you were saying mike like that black mirror being held up or even like from someone's perspective who does not understand philosophy to just be in that theater and to draw parallels between like ballet dancers and how a lot of them struggle with eating disorders like that parallel is where my mind immediately went to um so even if you're not you know someone who knows philosophy like the back of your hand you can draw parallels to like what some actors in the theater go through yeah Mm -hmm. and just that human thing of thinking that you're not good enough and that what what can i do to be enough Mm -hmm. so yeah no it's really really powerful have you sold it have we sold it to you yet mike i'm i'm pretty much there uh i i feel like I need to understand why I need to play it and not just appreciate the uh, ending you know, E the f- answers that. Okay. Yeah. I think. So the revelation of what's going on with Yorha is that that's ending B, right? 
Yeah, I think it is. Like the end, the like over time because of what information is being given to you, the player. I don't think 9S immediately recognizes all of those breadcrumbs being laid out, but we start to see some kind of inside of the Yorha organization perspective through 9S's scanning abilities um, and the uh, information that he is given um, through like the telecommunications and whatnot. But were you going to go to the Yorha reveal, Jacob? Yeah, I was. Basically, Yorha's a scam. <laughs> like it's 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 supposed to be this project to restore and protect and and like uh, fulfill humanity's destiny, like bringing them back from their like ostensible moon colony back to planet Earth. Um, but this is actually like a shadow organization where this has been going on for thousands of years. There's no guarantee that humans are even alive anymore. I'm, we're pretty sure they're dead. Um, and the objectives that are being given are kind of coming from no one meaningful in particular. Like they're just all obeying rote hierarchy, like institutional bureaucracy. And um, and then so it starts to question like, okay, we thought we had a prime directive as these androids, but if that is gone and that is to be questioned, then what? Like um, it, sort of the classic Nietzschean framing, if God is dead, then, you know, and then so many people throughout the centuries have tried to fill in that blank. Um, so this game, I think, really takes a sharp turn as soon as we lose that authority structure. Um, not only should these people be questioned, but potentially rebelled against. Yeah. And just the side of once you lose your direction, if you have if you're beholden to this aspect, like you said, if you believe if if there is a God, if there is an overarching purpose to you and then that purpose is wiped away and the, the Norha's um, is it Norha? Yorha. 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 Um, they're whole um, um, idea for why they were just continuing to lie is basically like, well, if they have no direction, then all of these, um, all these androids will just be depressed and die. So we have to tell them, we have to give them purpose instead of purpose for them. Yeah. Instead of allowing them to, to find their own purpose. So like, no, no, we have to give them a purpose because otherwise what are they going to do? Which is, uh, also, you know, humanity thing of you have to find your purpose in life, right? You have to find your own thing because um, any single purpose that's handed to you is kind of a farce. Yeah, and so this, I think, hits the character 9S the hardest, um, where when 9S loses his kind of driving belief and, and the structure that's giving him purpose and meaning, um, we see that um, the only real substantial death that happens in this game, uh, well, sorry, with the main characters at least, is uh, 2B is killed at the sort of end of that route, um, sort of beginning of Route C. And um, 2B is killed by this android A2, who is sort of this rage-embodied character who simply wants to go on a vendetta against all robots, like as a, like not because of what she's been told to do, but because of the experiences she's had and like the trauma she's endured. And um, we, we've seen 9S and 2B growing closer over the course of this game. And so like if there is going to be a source of meaning for 9S in the absence of Yorha, then maybe it's this relationship that he's developed for 2B. But then we see that like as a sword plunges through her torso, that is itself stripped away. And we see 9S have, for lack of a better term, like a psychotic break that he becomes mm-hmm. instead of this sweet kind of little good boy, as it were, um, this just absolute maniac character who wants nothing but blood. And it's fair to say that that uh, I think it's it's fair to explain, or we, we need to explain that A two and two B look the same. You could you could assume that they similar. are like the same. Th- that they similar. may be, but they'd be from the f- same run of yeah. of androids, like a, from yeah. the same um, 
family uh, of androids. Yeah. The, from the, the producers the who brought product you. family. Yeah, exactly. The same product family. Yes. If you're if you're calling them products. Um, at the end of of ending B, one thing that is very important to mention is that Eve, when killed, unleashes a logic virus um, that starts to infect other androids, and I think that is almost like the the thing that. Uh, is really important that really pushes the story forward quickly at endings for endings C and D, or at least like starts those uh, those endings. Yeah, it kind of kicks off this impending doom yeah. of where they're all um, destined to to go insane and die. Um, and yeah, it kind of gives us everything urgency and and you're right, it propels things forward. Are there any horses in the game being whipped in the street? No, but there's moose that you can kill. Uh, oh, yes, there are. Yeah. Sorry, the reason I ask is because Nietzsche died of From a horse. Uh, insanity uh, with his arms. Well, not in the moment, but the moment he lost his sanity, he was embracing a horse in the street as they were whipping it. Embracing? And he was like, no, please. Well, you, look, hey, uh, I mean, who knows? But, <laughs> you know? Uh, you know? So, anyways, that's the reason I asked. If people are going insane with existential themes, felt like felt like the right thematic reference. Mm. I don't know where to take this from here. I I can take it. So, ending C and D sort of take off after two B is killed, and we get the playable perspective of A two, who plays very similarly. I don't know, Katie and Jacob, if you felt this way. Uh, feels very similar to two B. It's like you've kind of come full circle again. Um, although A two has um, some variation, like her her heavy attack is a little more of a punch. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think her dodging is a little more like visually interesting. Like mm-hmm. the flourishes of the animation that happen are just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think two B is actually the most visually interesting in combat, even though it mm-hmm. plays just like two B did. Um, but you're back to this like hack and slash combat where you're running around and you're not necessarily replaying the story beat by beat again, but you're seeing the fallout from the perspective of this new character. And A2 was presented as an antagonist that you fight against in some of the earlier routes. This is someone that, okay, now that you've been given that perspective, um, we're going to see why A2 killed 2B. And the game proceeds to kind of jump back and forth here where it goes a2 and 9s and they sort of interweave this story you get like an hour over here with a2 an hour over here with 9s but then that starts to shrink and compress quite dramatically towards the ending of this arc and i don't know how to describe this necessarily but i think the way i would interpret this um skipping over a lot of the story of course is that route c and route d or ending c and d are brought about in the same way like you go down the same path the question of c or d is a choice that you make at the end so Mm -hmm. it's this sort of inevitable face-off between 9s who is seeking revenge against a2 who is as we grow to learn through her relationships with some of the other robots like pascal uh she actually has some sort of like depth and humanity to her despite the rough exterior and she's really just trying to maintain like um the robots that she deems as like um, that she sides with, that she's really just trying to protect them. Like that is, that is her sole purpose. There's a very um, striking moment in that uh, in two uh, A's section where she is in a factory and she is trying to protect a bunch of children that um, Pascal is protecting. And um, you very quickly like 
those children are killed, even though you your intention is not to have them die. And uh, it's just a really weighty moment. And I'm doing a poor job at explaining it. So, Katie, jump in. It's it's a heart one of the other heartbreaking moments in the game where um, Pascal is devastated because the children are uh, they're in terror because there's there are androids coming to kill them, and because they're so afraid and they're so afraid of death that they just start killing themselves. Um, and Pascal feels guilt because he's like, well, I taught them fear. They didn't have fear before this, and I taught them fear to protect them. Like you do with any kid, right? You say, like, don't touch that fire. It's hot. It's going to burn you. Like, you have to teach them to be scared of certain things in life. But then at a certain point, fear becomes paralyzing. But So he's thinking, I'm, I tried to help them by teaching them fear and teaching them self-preservation. But now they're so terrified that they can't meet what's coming, and they just all kill themselves. Um, and he's so devastated by this that he feels like he can't go on. And he asks A2 to erase his memory so that he doesn't, has no recollection of this happening because it's so devastating. Um, and yeah, that was one of, there was like a handful of moments for me that I was like, oh, that really impacted. And um, that was definitely one of them. Yeah. Can I ask what either of you did with Pascal's request there um, to wipe Pascal's memory or not? He so he asked me. He's asking me as his friend for a favor, and there, I don't, the conflict there is like, yes, you're in a moment of, you're in that moment of grief. So yes, you're asking for that, but it's also, I mean, that that's what in that moment that's what he wants, and he's coming to me as his friend, and I'm like, I, I guess. So oh, I erased his memory, and I felt terrible, but I'm like, that's. That's what he wanted. But again, that's in that moment of like desperation. So would it have changed afterwards and he would have felt differently? I don't know. But but yeah, I, I tend to do that in games that gives you this type of choice where I'm like, this this is what they're asking me to do for them. So I, I usually end up doing it. Um, so yeah, so that's what I did. I don't think I did. Um, and that was strictly because I didn't want my friend Pascal to like the instance of Pascal that I had right in that moment. Mm-hmm. I didn't want my friend to go away. Yeah. So that, that was just my perspective on it. Yeah. I think that both of those are completely valid options. Like one of the things we haven't really lingered on is that both the androids and the robots have like an, like sort of upload their consciousness to the cloud sort of collective. Mm-hmm. So when they die, like you can just resurrect that personality, put it back in a shell of like a new functioning being. And there goes that same robot again. And so like, um, it even if Pascal had come to harm, like you could just theoretically resurrect Pascal quite easily. But um, the instantiation of of Pascal and the consciousness therein, like, do you really want to sacrifice the trust and the bond and the relationship that seemingly has nurtured a two zone sort of like uh, coming out of her shell and embracing like some more redeeming parts of humanity or you know so to speak humanity. Um, and I think in my first playthrough, it's un- unfortunately it's it's blurry to me now because I've played it twice. But um, I'm pretty sure I did also wipe the memory the first playthrough. Um, it it felt sort of like it, it was a it was a question of like, do you kind of curse someone to permanently linger on this unspeakable tragedy for the rest of their life while they are begging you to do something which you yeah. can do, um, or do you kind of say like? 
toughen up and yeah. like learn the lesson that this has to teach you and like take that rage and use it and move forward, which just felt, I think, too harsh for me at the time. Yeah, it felt in, like it's in not... In speak, that's get good. Yeah, a very harsh version of get good. Yeah, it felt like it wasn't my decision to make. It felt like it was his decision. And I'm like, this is his decision. Who am I to say, no, you're making the wrong decision? Um, so yeah, that's, I, I felt like I didn't want to take away his agency. I'm like, no, this is what you want to do. So who am I to tell you what to do? Are there any like, um, so the, the mechanic of the androids, like transferring their consciousness to a new body is done through like a black box. Um, mm-hmm. are there any parallels we can draw to like other like black boxes, Katie? Yes. Um, uh, what came to mind was, I mean, I don't know if directly the black box, but it did make me think quite a bit about the game Soma, which, um, has been played on this podcast before a long time ago, but you can find it, you know, in, in the past podcasts, um, of kind of transferring your consciousness to another body, um, and living on that way. And, um, and a consciousness not being tied to any one thing, it being kind of a separate thing from, um, like the shell that's carrying it. Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely brought Soma to mind for sure. Episode 57, if you want to listen to it. Wow, look at you. I was Just thinking more right of like the, the airline black box and I'm like, oh, are there yes. any other parallels that we can draw? Like is a black box a philosophy thing? You guys can shake your head if it's not. Not it's, that I'm familiar with. I can't immediately think of how to interpret the black box necessarily other than just sort of like Mike had said, it sort of establishes how you're able to die and resurrect yourself like narratively, like in world, there isn't some weird like non-diegetic explanation for it. Um, Although I think you could maybe reach and say that there's this idea that um, sort of consciousness is the universe and like, like consciousness is like a fundamental aspect of reality that then gives yield to the things that we recognize as like personhood and, and whatever. Um, I've heard people say that like the universe itself is conscious. Like I think it's called panpsychism now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but I, I, because I don't subscribe to that philosophy, I think that that never occurred to me. I don't know that I have really read or found a convincing definition or, or distinction between like what the black box is and what um, you know humans are trying to do with their cultural projects. We should talk about the, the fight that leads to endings C and D between A2 and uh, 9S. Um, it reminded me a lot of the Star Wars, to be honest with you, with the way it was framed. The Duel of Star Wars? Do, do the tell Star me. Wars. Uh, you know, Duel of the Fates. We have two Jedi, one on, one on each side, and you must choose. Are you going to take the side of 9S, uh, which... Uh, is trying to tear down uh, this uh, structure that's been created, or to A, who's just trying to protect her friends. A two, who has sorry. the high ground. <laughs> that is I, the key question. Yeah, you have to know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I suppose. Um, I didn't really think of that. I just thought, you know, <laughs> destructive versus saving. You know, the hero versus the the one who wants to uh, see the world burn. Um, yeah, initially I was like, well, I'm, I'm siding with, with A2 and and played that through and then afterwards went back and did the other one just for the sake of, of doing it to see the other ending. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely sided with A2, um, it, just emotionally speaking. Um, the fight's fine. I don't know. It's a fight. It's it's It wasn't... The, the actual action of the fight wasn't anything... Um, I don't know, too interesting for me. What do you do think? 
I, I think I agree with that assessment. It's not necessarily like this mechanically or visually impressive sequence. I think it's just kind of a narrative culmination of everything. But the one thing I do enjoy in the fight amongst everything else is that when you're fighting as A2 against 9S, um, if you're not careful, you will be hacked quite a bit, which not only does substantial damage, but it's just kind of really annoying when you're in the middle of like swinging a combo and all of a sudden you have to like survive this like 2D hacker game that you're used to playing. Um, so, so that sort of thing I thought was really uh, effective to see those abilities pitted against each other in combat. Um, but yeah, that being said, I, I don't know that there's much to remark upon. This tower was created to shoot a missile at the moon. Yes. <laughs> I don't think we've, we've not mentioned that. And so no, like, there is a tower, that, yeah. just that there is a tower and it's going to shoot a missile to the moon. And also um, another thing that kind of... Um, uh, made me think of the game Soma, where the the missile to the moon seems to be to preserve consciousness. No, is that inaccurate, or am I way off in left field? To like basically shoot off um, a group of consciousnesses and preserve them, and then kind of reestablish, That's Soma. like try again. No, but don't. Isn't this happening in this? Is that thought the purpose of the, or is just the missile at the moon just to destroy what where they think? the humans have settled, That's even though they're not there. That's what I thought it was. I'm feeling incredibly insecure with my knowledge of that <laughs> for some reason right now. Um, I uh, Off the top of my head, and I hope I'm not wrong about this, um, just curse at me on Twitter if I'm wrong here. But, um, but Nobody curse I, I, Thank you. Um, I think, generally speaking, it's like this idea that this planet is sort of to be abandoned in the absence of, like, Yorha and this, like, mythos of humanity and their ostensible purpose. Like, when you get rid of all of that, it's sort of like a reset button is kind of how I think of that situation. Um, it Although now I'm thinking, like, is it to, like, nuke the moon? <laughs> I just, I've forgotten about the implication of that. But I thought it was really, like, two different endings. In the ending where, like... Um, it, you choose 9S, uh, the two androids, they end up like offing each other mm-hmm. and then the, the, the tower missile ends up becoming a way for them to fire their consciousnesses to the moon where that's not the case if, um, if A2 wins. If A2 wins, like the tower is destroyed and if mm-hmm. 9S wins, then their collective consciousnesses are fired to the moon. That's what I thought it was. I'm also insecure. (laughs) (laughs) So on this note, the overarching, the, the, the main line story to me wasn't the most impactful part. It was like the little stories along the way that I got the most from, but like who won out of this fight to me didn't matter that much because i'm like i don't know either the thing is destroyed or they're going to shoot the thing to the moon but that didn't really affect me at all but like i said the little stories along the way of of different little aspects of humanity and like the the machines trying to to creating different forms of government and experimenting with that and, and different cultures and at one point basically like a cult forming amongst them and and uh, just our emotions and how our emotions evolve over time. All that was really, really interesting. But the actual like mainline plot, if you said this happened, then this happened, then this happened, that wasn't that interesting for me, which tells you how interesting the rest of it was because I overcame all the, the combat stuff and all the stuff I didn't like 
and not being that interested in the main plot. And there was still a lot just sprinkled throughout that I thought was uh, explored in a fascinating way. I think that's a totally normal take to have where like the actual plot progression is somewhat insignificant in proportion to the themes of the game, which I think like there's like pockets of things to think about and resonate with. And then they kind of let them cool off and then you don't have to think about them for a while. And then something else becomes the focus. Like I think the only consistent through line for those themes is just kind of tragedy. Um, But like this game, I think really excels in terms of like, vibes which i think goes in terms of themes as well like the aesthetic i I find really appealing even though it's not the most technically impressive game to look at by any means like the environment is kind of it's got some texture work to be done let's say um but like it's a little bland um but like the art direction around that blandness i think works really well and we haven't talked about it at all which is a little astonishing to me but um I think i'm willing to say that near automata has my favorite music in any video game oh yeah so (laughs) good music is good i i think it is just always just all bangers the whole way through and like i mean that where like from the the spectrum of tear jerkers to just complete like when you're on the amusement park roller coaster and just jamming out and vibing like like all of that's there as well and i think that you're supposed to kind of sit in that stew of near automata in order to make that fifth ending ending e really really resonate because i think that ending e is um just to say it in a cliche like the cherry on top of this whole thing like sure the sunday is good but metaphorically like that's what you're here for um the music was so odd as well in that like there was not like a clear genre that i would have been able to place it in it definitely had this like futurist other potential universe like vibe to it yeah it's just it's consistently gorgeous like that is the one thing that I would use to describe it is that it is extremely detailed. Also, there are just so many things going on within it. Like if you listen to it, you could listen to it multiple times and focus on different aspects of the music. Um, and it's just is just consistently um, absolutely gorgeous. Whenever I walked into the resistance camp, I would always just get vibes from that. Just like very like acoustic guitar. Just like I'd want to stay in the resistance camp just so I could mm-hmm. listen to that song for minutes at a time. There's also Pascal's Village, which has like the yes. little children chanting song. Like, um, I, I, th- I think the lyrics are kind of supposed to be indecipherable. Uh, we'll, maybe we'll talk about it. But the final song that happens in Ending E, um, like a lot of the vocals are delivered in what is like canonically known as a chaos language. Like, it's actually not supposed to be translatable what's being said there. Like, it's just a, a language that the singer and the creators made up. Um, and like, like Sigaross? That- I think so. Like it, it's just you know in universe fictionally, um, but the um, like people have tried to transcribe the near lyrics from the chaos language, and there's not necessarily like a grammatical uh, Rosetta Stone that you can kind of pull one to one linguistically. There are some English components, some Japanese components of the vocal delivery and such, but um, I find I find that really compelling. Like there there are so many good songs. Some of the songs reprise themselves from Near Replicant, which I didn't know on a first playthrough, but then you play through the original game and then. I've heard this before, but now you get the significance of the song and why it's being played. For example, there's a character that you can totally miss in Nier Automata called Emil. Um, and like Emil's got like a little shop you can go find. And that could be the end of whatever you think about that. But if you've played Near Replicant, which I will not spoil the significance of, when you hear that song, it's like 
goosebumps and tears. And that's because of that sort of narrative context. Um, and Emil drives like a like an ice cream truck with a Yokotaro yeah. on it. So like, <laughs> yeah. you're going to be like, what is this? What is this ice cream truck here for? And it's good to know that there's significance to that. Yeah. Ending E, can we rip the bandaid off? I Go think it's it. the best video game ending ever. I'm willing to say that as well. Like, I'm not going to give all the superlatives to Nier Automata. It is, I think, all things aside, still pretty confidently my favorite game ever. But the music, I think, is the biggest strength of this game and maybe the best accomplishment of the game design is this ending. And I, just to briefly set it up, like it takes the form of an interactable credit sequence where... Um, as you've seen multiple credit sequences throughout this game. So um, you may or may not be ready to think like, oh, this is actually the end because who can ever trust this game at this point? But these developer names start coming down at you and you play a sort of elongated version of these hacker minigames that you've been playing. And you start to literally kill God, which is to say, kill the developers off with this hacker minigame. Oh, see, I'm a dum-dum. I didn't get that you were killing God. That's so smart. I thought I also thought it was extremely cool, though. I I, I love this ending, but oh, it just get that gets better then, doesn't it? When you actually know what you're talking about, <laughs> <laughs> because it's really like Super Smash Brothers. Like if you've played that game, it is it is exactly that where you're just shooting, hand. yeah, shooting, shoot, yeah, shooting the names as they come up on the screen. But then it becomes increasingly difficult because you oh my God. you see these names and they are they are kind of moving around the screen almost like you know a Galaga and mm-hmm. they're shooting off red pellets that if you get hit I think it's three times like you you mm-hmm. lose and at one mm-hmm. point it's a bullet hell where it is so difficult I would almost say it's impossible to get through and there's a, a narrative reason for that in that they go hey do you want some help at, at a certain point. When just and I don't know how they did this through playtesting, but it was like at a certain point I was getting frustrated and I was about to say like I don't want to continue, yeah. I don't want to keep doing this, and then they come to you and say like, "Do you want some help?" Yeah, right mm-hmm. when you think I can't possibly do it, and I tried multiple times. I'm like, "No, I don't want help," and then I died, and then I said, "No, I don't <laughs> want help," and I died, and I probably did it like three or four times, and then finally I was like, "Oh no, I can't do it by myself," and I accepted help. And then, yes, and then uh, your help stores in, and it's it's a very cool moment. Yeah, so this this whole bullet hell sequence, like, I'm, I'm fairly certain I've seen some really skilled runners make it really, like, through the whole credit sequence here, but it does feel insurmountable. And um, the lead-in to the do you want some help question, I think, is also really telling for what this game wants to, like, discuss and make you think about where um, some of the questions, like, they escalate in terms of how pointed they are at you, the player. And, like, some of the questions are like, do you agree that life is meaningless? Yes. Like, there's no point (laughs) to any of this at all. And, um, you know, in the moment when you're stubborn and frustrated and wanting to overcome that challenge, it's like, no, no, I don't agree. Get out of my way. Let me keep fighting. Do you think games are silly little things? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like so, a lot of those those questions are kind of trying to like test or break your resolve as the player. Like, obviously, this is difficult. This is obviously more than you can probably handle. Um, are you willing to give up? And that's kind of the essence of the question that leads to the um, the do you want help sort of question, which I think is just magnificently delivered. It, it it works its way up, and you can kind of give yourself a few outs up to the path of saying, "All right, fine, I resign myself to this. Give me some help." Mm-hmm. And we didn't really talk about this at all. 
but when you die in this game, you leave your body behind. And yes, you can go pick up your, your stuff, like Souls-like, whatever. But I think more interestingly for me is you can leave a little like custom message. Again, very Souls-like passive. Just leave a message for another player. There's components. You can change what the message says. Um, but you can, throughout the game, find these dead bodies of other players all around the map. And you can choose to revive them. And they can fight alongside you for a small period of time. Or you can just retrieve their parts and just steal their chips and their gold and whatever they had on them at the time. And um, I think that that lends some important believability to what happens in this credit sequence, where the help you receive is framed as the help that other players who have played this credit sequence before you are freely giving you. And so... Big brain. Um, yeah, like it's it, these names of these people, like you've seen them throughout the whole game. They're in multiple languages. You can see they're from different countries. And Yoko Taro, the creator of this game, had said in an interview at a point that when he was developing or working on the concepts for this game, he wanted this to be presented as you would encounter the dead bodies of people from countries who were in conflict with your own. And imagine how impossible that would be to engineer especially as like a time capsule like you would have to either update this game consistently um based on real world international conflicts um but that was the idea is like is finding the humanity in the other but eventually that idea was scrapped and you simply just have an international database of people who have played the game where they pull their like psn ids or whatever Mm -hmm. and so when you're fighting you start off as like a single little ship like a little you have three little hits that you can take but then you have like a kind of circular swarm of other little ships that encapsulate and shield you and also widen out the fire of your ship so the amount of ammo you're shooting out is much easier to like wipe off these developers names the um, outside ships are taking hits for you and the game will show you the name of the player who just sacrificed themselves for your you know to protect your life and uh, that sort of stuff again we're we're not even at the very end of it yet but like all of those i thought could only have been delivered because of what the game had done prior like to Mm -hmm. set you up and think yes this is like a passive multiplayer experience this part is the best argument for me of why this is um best made as a game why this is the media that they chose to present the story in because there's a lot of aspects of it where I'm like, this could have been a show. This could have been something else. This could have been a movie. But that aspect is where it's like, oh, no, you can only do that in a game. And you can only get that exact feeling from this medium. And anytime a game can do something that is only available in this way, that's where I'm like, oh, that's a, you did a special thing that um, is very difficult to make. So yeah, there are very is, few games that evoke this of like yes. of of making you question like even your own agency. Like really it's like Undertale and I won't say a few what like obviously there are like the shared world multiplayer Bioshock, stuff of your Stanley journeys. Parable. Not uh, not maybe Bioshock, but like Stanley Parable, yeah, I would put up there uh in that and then there's the shared like multiplayer stuff of like Journey the First Tree, but I think that this yeah, that where, you couldn't do this in an anime even though I'd want to yeah. watch it as an anime. Where it feels like it's expanding outside of the the actual game. Yeah. is that's that extra level where it, it feels you know just above and beyond just in an in internal game mm-hmm. 
and one final note to say about this decision that you inevitably make to accept the help of these other people. You've been hearing the same credit song that you've heard on every credit roll prior, but you're getting a sort of instrumental version of it. And over the course of this song called Way to the World, um, the vocals pick up. There's like an English delivery of the lyrics. There's a Japanese delivery. There's the chaos language. But then when you accept the help of all the players, uh, I want to say, and I'm not 100% confident on this, I want to say it's the developers of the game who got in like a vocal booth and like sat there and like chorally did this. But there's like actually like you can hear dozens of voices come to help you and also like kind of help the singer, so to speak. Um, all like sort of harmonize and like almost like a like a church choir sort of sound that happens over the course. So not only are you receiving the gameplay help, but like the atmosphere of the of the the um, song also just communicates that togetherness and that shared sort of interdependence that I think this this part of the game is really trying to drive home. And then you you just start tearing through like all the developers. You have essentially mm-hmm. like an array of maybe six ships that are around you that are just allowing you to shoot like seven bullets in each round. So you're shooting like hundreds of bullets in like a few seconds. And so you just like really easily make your way through the credits. And I think that's when the arguably the coolest part of this whole thing happens where you make your way through and then you're kind of given the same you're asked a question that I wasn't expecting and that is just like the coolest cherry on top of a very cool game and ending. The the question then is like, great, you've now made it through. You've arguably, you've killed God. Do you want to help other people kill God now? It says a little more uh, or less controversially than that, I would say. (laughs) But, But the game, it asks you like, now that you know how important it is to, uh, you know, help other people out, let's say, with something that is difficult, like a source of constant suffering for, I think, most people, um, which, again, existentially is what this game really is looking at. Like, in the, in the face of endless suffering, how do you find meaning and purpose? Like, if there's not a god to look to, but suffering is inherent to being, how do you survive that? And um, I find that to be... Pr- maybe the most important question that one can ask of oneself, but this game then delivers it to you in the form of like a little packaged playable experience where you answer a couple questions and it says basically like, all right, if you're going to give help to another person, this might be someone you hate. This might be someone you intensely dislike. Are you really sure? And it keeps asking you these sort of, are you sure questions to the point where, all right, we're going to delete your save file. If you wanted to go back and get the other endings to this game, you will not be able to do that. And all of the time, which for me was a little over 40 hours, is going to be wasted. So you'll never be able to get this. You're going to have a blank new menu to return to. You'll have to start from scratch if you want to see the rest of this game. Are you sure you want to do this? And at least myself on the first playthrough, it was just kind of a yes, yes, yes. Okay, I am sure. I am sure. And then the game sits you down and wipes the entire save file in front of you like it's not just a okay cool this happened thanks for helping out another player it's a let's look at your weapons menu blank 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 and it does this with every inventory slot with like your whole entire game including the save files are wiped from existence in front of you before the true ending is finished which i just find to be brilliant and 
for myself, like I'm not much of a completionist usually, or at least on the first playthrough, I didn't care about any of the trophies and what I was doing on this game. But the thought of like that sacrifice, however minor, it's a video game. I probably shouldn't lose sleep over it. But like I teared up at this point. I was crying during the credits, to be fair. But like when this happened, it was just like, a, oh, my God, this wasn't a gimmick. This wasn't just some like plot device. This is an actual sacrifice I will have to make. And it does, at least to me, feel really meaningful because I just experienced the benefit of that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think the, we... The- Katie and I, I don't think we sacrificed our save files, did we? <laughs> okay. So that's the thing. When it's when something is a little obtuse and it's not... And it, I was thinking, well, I have more endings to get because I have to do a podcast. <laughs> and I'm like, but... But if I have to do more endings, am I done all the endings? I don't know that I'm done all the endings. Uh, it didn't. It didn't really anchor for me that this was um, that this was the message of what they're trying to do at, in that moment. I don't know what was going on. I don't know if I was tired when I was doing it, but it just didn't lock in my brain. And I thought I want to see more endings, and I said no. <laughs> and I really wish I would have done it because I had the same thought. I know, thought. me too. <laughs> I played for twenty six hours. And like immediately what I did was like, okay, I'm going to go watch and see like what, what really happens. And it's very much like it, it says, Hey, this person, as you said before, total stranger, you may hate them, but in exchange for your save file, we can, we can help them. Uh, and the game like five times, they're like, Hey, just so you know, your debug menu, all your saves are going to be gone. Are you sure? Are you truly sure that you want to do this? And I, I really wish that I would have, like, followed through and not been a coward in that moment. Oh, yeah, me too, for sure. Because I, I just think to myself, I'm like, this is, like, a, a real sacrifice. Like, what is what is the definition of, like, like truly helping someone and it's sacrifice? And I didn't make that sacrifice in the moment. And it sounds, we're, we're talking about a video game. Yeah. But in that moment, oh, yeah, I, I wish I would have made the selfless sacrifice because that truly is like a real gift that I could have passed on to another player. And I regret that I didn't do it because I think in the moment I would have, obviously I think this is super cool, but Flora, I probably don't have the same attachment to this game because I, in that moment, I chickened out and I didn't like follow through with deleting my own save data. I also didn't really buy that like, if I don't do this, then it's going to actually negatively affect anyone else's playthrough. Like, there, which is also a thing of like, oh, what's one person's actions matter, right? Which, it, which is kind of the like fundamental question that you have to say, no, no, one person's actions do matter because it contributes to the whole. It just didn't register with me at the time that I was like, oh no, like this is, um. This is part of the game. This is part of like life and everything else. And I, I don't take it as a, as a I'm a bad person because I think that in life and not a video game, I would make you know a, most likely I I like to help people. I like people. People are good. I feel like that's the most important thing in the world is that everyone helps each other, and that's the only way that we move forward. Um, but yeah, it didn't register for me at the time. And uh, but you know, I, I I wish I would have done it for sure. I think that maybe one of the weaknesses of this game's design is 
sometimes the messaging for what the game is asking you to do is not the most clear. So I mentioned at at the beginning that like when I first played this game, um, I finished route A and then they told me, hey, just to let you know, player, this is not the end. I promise. And I was like, oh, I've seen you, AAA game. I know you're just going to have me <laughs> run around in this world, and I'm just going to have my good weapons. Nope, New no game thanks. Plus. I saw this game through. I'm good. It wasn't there's until someone said... There's more to do. Sure, there's more to do. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Side quest, clean up, not interested. Yeah. And then someone said, like, they kind of, like, put their hand on my shoulder and was like, no, no, for real. You're not done with this game, which I, I can't express how glad that I am. But also in ending E, like maybe there's a chance that you read some of this and you're like, is it really going to delete my save file? Like, do I re- like, is this one of those warnings that you get right before the final cutscene in a game or the final like battle sequence in a game where it's like, hey, have you finished exploring this open world? We're going to give you a linear boss sequence here. Um, it might not feel like as clear as what the game wants to like then show you and for me kind of devastate you with but there's also like this degree of skepticism that i think you could have where like i i think katie alluded to this of like is it really going to hurt other players if i don't do this like does it really truly matter because you you have to imagine there's a finite save pool of people who have donated their saves like are there truly like that many people who have said yes i'll sacrifice my save and have played all of these endings like which we know that the attachment rate of people who finish the games they buy is very low. Um, Like how many people have truly made this sacrifice and are they just going to kind of fudge the numbers a bit and have some generic names shoved in there to make sure that ending always works. Um, I think that those concerns aside, um, I I do have a question, which is, or sorry, go ahead, Katie. And then I'll ask. I was just wondering, do we know that it actually, that it actually (laughs) uses this finite list? Because I'm assuming they would recycle some of these people right like it's not like it's like oh that person died saving you therefore they're out of the list and you have to play mm-hmm. again and sacrifice yourself again to be added to the list i'm like no no it has to be there they're not mm-hmm. going to be like actually you couldn't finish because not enough people sacrificed although that would be crazy That'd be cool. i don't buy that they would do that especially like 12 yeah. years or like imagine 10 years from now like yeah no of, not like, enough Nobi, people are Nobi playing the game. how that game is now kind of done Imagine if 10 years from now, there was a prompt that said, like, you actually, there's actually no support left. Uh, yeah. Sorry. That would be super cool. Yeah. There's yeah. not enough blood donors. There's, there's not enough this. There's not enough, like, charitable offerings from other people. And, and so you can't actually finish this. Other players weren't uh, humane enough. or Yeah, which they're not going to do that. So I was like, no, they're not, that's not a thing. But, um, mm-hmm. again, that would be a fascinating thing to do. But sorry, that's, Flora, a, big, you had a, that's a big swing. Yes, what's your question? So, if you didn't sacrifice your save file, and I, I should have, like, I wish I had notes on the sequence of how things happened here, there's a scene at the very, very end of this game involving the pods, and the pods talk sort of to each other, but also sort mm-hmm. of to you about, like, what the purpose of all of this was. You're both nodding your heads, so I assume you, you saw that scene regardless. Yes. Like, it didn't matter yes. if you sacrificed your save or not. Okay. That um, scene that happens, would, and then the, like, deletion then, okay. question. Yeah. Got you. Okay, I couldn't remember which happened first, but that was that was the immediate thing of like, what if you missed that ending because you didn't uh, make the sacrifice, and then you just had this? Okay, the credits rolled, and then it asked me if I deleted my file, and then I turned off the game. Like that feels like a, almost a flat ending in the way that I was really worried about. I do want to bring Mike back into the conversation to ask him a question. Uh, so obviously, we've been going on and on and on about ending E and how it's like one of the coolest things in games. <sighs> Sorry we spoiled it, um, but 
is this is a spoiler zone is this i walked in here knowing is this the thing that you're gonna finish now knowing that like it's super cool in the end no okay oh (laughs) that's totally are you gonna go back and watch it at least no okay because the cool part is probably playing it right I think the cool part is, okay, this is the thing that I would have enjoyed. Having heard your experiences with the game, what I would have enjoyed was seeing all these little bits, the 2B, the uh, A2, uh, the all of these little references and piecing it together myself. And then being faced with some of these moments where you have to think through not only what this means in the context of the game, but what is the the greater meaning? Like, what is the what is the connective tissue between this uh, within the game and without? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I got a lot of it just hearing you guys talk through it. You know, uh, and it's also not a short game in in terms of like my gaming time, right? In terms of my available time for gaming, mm-hmm. so hey, I might play this when they inevitably remaster it and re-release it. Um, but it's not going to be for the for the near term. I'll tell you that. Hey. <laughs> the near, the near t- term. Very good. Sorry. Very good. <laughs> because, yeah, K- Katie and I played it probably... I played it for 26 hours. You played it about the same, right? Yeah, it was, it was very similar, yes. And then, Flora, you did a lot of the side missions and probably played it for 40, right? Yeah. So, I guess Mike... Mileage may sold. vary. Yeah, we haven't sold Mike on it, but um, you, you honestly you did sell me on it, and then you kept going. <laughs> and and the golden rule of sales is you stop as soon as you get a yes. Well, you should have yeeted yourself out of this conversation yeah. when you heard oh, something well. good. Yeah, it's okay. You saved me twenty something hours. <laughs> um, um, well, which we mentioned that this conversation between the two pods, which uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is basically a a question of is there still hope. Like, is there still hope? Is there any point to doing this again? Because we're we're doing the same thing. We're ending the same way. We're not um, we're not advancing. We're not winning. What's the point of all of this? Should we keep going? And basically, it's like yes, there is a point. There's hope. You have to keep trying. Um, and that's kind of to me how they kind of wrap it up, put the bow on it at the very end, right? Yeah, I think that's accurate, and uh, I think that that ending is in particular like at the moment of this record like really poignant like um i won't be specific with this at all but like there's a lot of things you can point to in the world right now where it feels like everything is an uphill battle against hopelessness and there are so many issues affecting so many people that um i think it's kind of the natural state of things to feel fatigued and to feel nihilistic and to feel like no single person's sacrifice will be enough to move the needle on any of these given struggles. And so I, I think that it's it's a really profound and resonant point to, to think about playing this game right now at this point in time. It hit me back then too, but I mean, I was very much aware of how... Um, like the the pods talk to themselves and say like if we sort of like hit the reset button on this android society so to speak like things are just going to devolve back into into violence and like the other pod responds and says something like i cannot deny that that's a possibility like um but even with those risks like the the hope that we're seeking for is worth striving for and like the the struggle itself is what 
is where the meaning comes from. So it's that sort of Nietzschean idea of like the myth of Sisyphus, like this boulder that you're pushing up a hill that no matter how many times you push it up, when it hits the top, it rolls to the other side and you have to start over. And and the meaning that Nietzsche gives is like, okay, it's in that struggle. And I think that that's ultimately where this game sort of lies as well. But I would also say that like, maybe I would caution to say that this game actually takes any firm conclusions on that question it just offers you like i think that's why this game is so stuffed full of philosophy references is it wants to show you like here are these various ways that people have tried to interpret the question of constant suffering like you know simone's character was to to find love and romance and validation through her lover um all the way to the other end of like adam and eve like seeking to find like a fear of death or uh taking out revenge like rage on existence like all of these different ways are ways that humanity has tried to find meaning and all of them have problems and yet that seek that that aiming for that meaning uh justifies at least maybe from some perspective um all of the inherent sort of misery that that struggle um has so i obviously have not completed this game but i have to assume so one of one of the key things in nietzsche's philosophy is the idea of the overman or the ubermensch right i think it is i have to assume that it was not a not a coincidence that these the androids are the people the society that take over after humanity right that are the the next progression um so it's it's super cool to see all of these little like these little bits all come together in this really well-crafted story. Um, I just don't feel like I need to play it to get the enjoyment from hearing that it exists. Well, just to maybe wet your whistle, we didn't talk about the character Marx or Angles. We didn't talk about the character Hegel. Like, <laughs> there's, there's, oh, there's more in this. I'm, there's literally more. Are you more. saying there's a dialectic? So to speak. I think that's what the narrative structures are doing, right? Like, it's right. a dialectic of... of perspective but forth. anyway that there's still depth here that we haven't totally plumbed so um wait for that remaster i guess but there's more damn or start okay, it in your maybe replicant you got me. and then maybe you and got then me. play automata maybe you got me flora ha! maybe i'm in i was out and then you pulled me back in well i think that wraps us up for today our our discussion of near automata or automata uh, however you prefer to pronounce it, one is correct and one is not. And I just don't give a damn. Um, you can find our folks uh, at a bunch of different social handles, and I will throw to them very shortly. But you can find all Left Behind Game Club stuff on Twitter at Left Behind Club, Instagram, Left Behind Game Club, and Discord. You can join the Discord. where We've got a very vibrant community where I think we're going to be hosting some uh, weekly or monthly game nights. Uh, we just had one where we played Fall Guys. It was a ton of fun. Um, you can find that at leftbehindgame.club slash discord. You can click a button. It'll take you right in. Um, Jacob, where can the fine folks find you at? Uh, you can find me at Jacob McCord on all major social media platforms. Uh, J-A-C-O-B-M-C-C-O-U-R-T. Twitter's where I do my ranting. And uh, daily, I've been making TikToks about uh, video games. They're like little mini essays about specific games, mostly in like the 360 and PS3 era. So if you like that, uh, throw me a follow because I'd much appreciate it. This man trying to descend generations. Yeah, I'm uh, like, hey, young person, let me tell you about Driver San Francisco. It's a good-ass game. You're looking more and more like Steve Buscemi every day. <laughs> Hello, uh, fellow kids. <laughs> Katie, where can the fine folks find you at? 
they can find me on Twitter. I am Les Brack, L-E-S-P-E-R-A-K. Uh, that's where I also do my ranting. Um, but not ranting. I don't know. I comment pleasantly about random things that I find interesting. And, that doesn't uh, sound like Twitter. I, that's right. I keep it pleasant, Len. I, I, I like to like things. It's a happy place. Now and then I get a little snarky, but I'm not. But it's a happy Twitter. Happy. Good. That's what that I like. Yell into the void like the rest of us. No, I don't want to yell. I, I well, uh, sometimes I do, but uh, in a pain. Yeah. Japanese games are not subtle about their take on organized religion. <laughs> I don't think yes. I've yelled that into the void yet, but maybe, maybe soon. You should. You should. It's in, in due time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Flora, where can the fine folks find your ranting about all things gaming? And I don't near? do much ranting on, on the Twitter, but you can find me there uh, if you want to see some cool like video game fan art. That seems to be my trend mm-hmm. recently at Ludo Narrative FM. You can definitely catch me in the Discord where I'm kind of active all the time <laughs> every Friday posting Yakuza GIFs, if nothing else. And uh, you can check out my written work on epiloggaming.com. What are you posting? Fantastic. Yakuza GIFs? The Friday know. night thing? Yeah, I don't know what GIFs are. Sorry. Me neither. <laughs> oh, do you pronounce it incorrectly? Do you say GIFs? Yes, I do. Oh, you think the creator of it determines how it's pronounced? I, I, th- I don't no. think that's how it works. Wrong venue for this, but I have linguistic <laughs> examples of why I can be right about this. But anyway, Jifes. We'll, I just mean, all, we'll all be unhappy. This is the Automata podcast, so yeah. it's the appropriate place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you can find me at Rufalo M R U F F O L O M at most social places online or michaelrufalo.com and .ca and that my friends is one less game left behind And then a new guest, not Flora herself. <laughs> okay, don't take that right. baton. That's totally fine. I can totally redo that. Oh, it's because of my username. Because <laughs> your username is not Flora. I was like, should I jump in? I was like, I'm like, I have a comment. Should I jump? No, I won't jump in. And I'm like, nope, no one's jumping in now. No, I'm so sorry, Mike. <laughs> I just appreciate how you're like that. Poss- that couldn't possibly be a, a handoff for me. I was so confused, and then I did it to myself. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Jacob, take the wheel. <laughs> okay, should we try that again? Just take it over from Flora. Okay, uh, that's going in bloops, though. That's a big bloop. <laughs> I was out, and then you pulled me back in. All it took was the Communist Manifesto. Right. <laughs> well. <laughs> Why are you muffling your laughter? <laughs> I think he's trying not to cough. It's that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got some good bloops. Oh, now that we're done... I have some near music boxes. <laughs> what? Um, yeah. So if you have played Ending E, then this is the song, Weight of the World, that plays over the credits. And I have another music box, which is uh, Vague Hope, Cold Rain, another near song. Uh, I There's the only two music boxes I own. It, 
Well, it's it's no T Swift, but it it probably hits you in the feels regardless.